You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you are our light, that you lead the way and you illuminate your truth in us. So we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work to teach us, uh, that we might uh, know you, uh, worship you, uh, and serve you. To your glory, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a joy to be back here uh, at UPC and, and to be here in this pulpit. It's almost four years, uh, almost to the date since I uh, last had a chance to stand here in this uh, pulpit. And so I am very honored that George would invite me here to preach. Um, uh, as you know, he wrapped up a series last week and we'll be starting a new series this next week. So when I said, hey, George, what do you want me to preach on? He said, anything you want. I said, you know, George, uh, Earl said that to me about 17 years ago once. (laughs) That was it. So, oh, well, I don't work here, so I get to do whatever I want. So uh, the other thing, too, as I get going here, uh, some of you uh, have asked me or or I often uh, uh, am asked and and I know several of your faces. uh, People ask me how young life's going and and whatnot. I want to let you just kind of know that that this Young Life College thing that we're doing is, is this wonderful blend where we took the best of university ministries. My, my boss in Young Life is Denny Ryberg, who preceded me here at the Inn, and many of you know Denny. So we took, the, we took the best of university ministries, and we took the best of a Young Life ministry that has done for, for almost 70 years now, ministry with high school kids, and we combined them together called this thing called Young Life College. And it's an exciting thing. We're, we're building them all around the country, even around the world. Uh, it's exciting to see what's happened. In many cases, we're working with local congregations because that's obviously a huge part of my passion as well, to see this happen. And so it's exciting uh, to see these things come together. Our passage of Scripture for today is Matthew chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, if you want to follow along with me. Mark. Why did I say Matthew? I said Matthew in the first service. Why is Matthew stuck in my head? I don't know why. So, maybe I'm supposed to be preaching out of Matthew. We're going to switch to Matthew chapter 10. <laughs> Whatever comes up in those verses, we're just going to go for it. Spirit's leading me today. So, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. One day, some people brought the children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples told them not to bother him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was very displeased with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took the children into his arms, placed his hands on their head, and blessed them. I want to start by mentioning that in over 20 years of speaking and preaching, I've never spoken on this passage of Scripture. Now, I must have read it several dozen times. It's actually the story is, is in all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I must have read it several dozen times, but it wasn't until recently that I began to see just how significant this tiny little story is to the Gospel message and how relevant it is to our modern situation. Now, for years as I read this passage, I just assumed 
that the children were innocent bystanders. That they came willingly and they left when it was time to leave. Now, let me take you into the Greek for just a moment. But the Greek word here for children uh, is actually a term that would be used for any child from basically infancy till about 12. If you go back into that day and age, there were really only two classifications for humans. There was a child and there was adult. As we know, things have changed a little bit in our culture. Matter of fact, there's been a Western uh, innovation that started around the 1900s that we call adolescence. This period of time where they're not quite children, but they're not yet adults. Okay, this stage of life that is going on uh, for us. Now, matter of fact, many sociologists would tell us today that adolescence is beginning to be extended, right? That there's now early adolescence, there's mid-adolescence, and there's late adolescence. Or like some people like to term it, emerging adulthood, which I think is probably a hopefully a little better term, like let's move on with it. The bottom line is that kids are taking much longer in our society to reach adulthood, as many of you know by the simple fact that your 28-year-old son has yet to move out. (laughs) Hopefully not. But, well, I'm not here to give us the latest on why adolescence is extended, extending well into the 20s, but to simply say that the children being brought to Jesus, who back then were about infant to 12 age, might very well be the equivalent of today's college students. Okay, that they extend in that far from infancy through college age. We're talking about people who are not yet adults in this story. Now, the more that I thought about this passage of scripture, I thought about my kids who are now teenagers, your kids, other people's kids, the thousands of high school and college age kids that I work with. And I thought, you know, there must be more going on in this story when you think about these children. I wondered what these kids were thinking. How may they have behaved? Did the little ones cry when they were put on Jesus' lap? Did they tug on Jesus' beard, kind of like in baptisms, you know, when the, the kids grab glasses and microphones? Were the older kids kind of sitting on the ground, totally angry with their arms folded that they got pulled away from the local soccer game and got drugged to see this rabbi guy? It's frustrated that they had to be there. Did they come willingly or were they drugged there? Like many of us would say when we were kids, our parents drug us to church. Did they know what they were in for? Did they have any idea the controversy that they were going to create that day? How did the older kids react when the adult disciples told them to go away? What did they think when Jesus actually announced to the adults that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these? How did they react when Jesus said, unless you have faith, like little Johnny here, you'll never enter the kingdom of God? I can guarantee you those kids brought that back up to their parents later on, right? Like, (laughs) hey, remember? Remember what Jesus said? That's why I think this story is so relevant. We so long to know what our kids are really thinking, what our kids are really feeling But often, we don't get a clue. 
we're often not let in. Just like this story really doesn't let us in. So I read it and I find myself just kind of going, wow, I want to know more what's going on with these kids. What were they thinking? Chap Clark wrote a book called Hurt and uh, based on a bunch of research that he did with adolescents and encourage you to read it and, and think about it. It's, it's, it's excellent. But there's a poem in here written by a high school student that I would like to read. It's titled, I Wish. It says, I wish I could tell secrets to someone who would listen, to someone who wouldn't tell. I wish I could meet that special someone, someone who loves me, someone who cares for me. I wish I could talk to someone, someone who would understand, someone who wouldn't laugh. I wish I had a best friend, someone I can trust, someone I can tell secrets to. Someone who understands me, someone who will grow with me, someone I can talk to. A little bit of insight into kids. There's a second thing that jumps out at me at this uh, passage as you sit and reflect on it a little bit more, at least for me it did, and that is that we want our kids to be blessed. You know, th- that's one thing that jumps out. There, there are these, the, these adult figures, um, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, uh, neighbor, neighbors, who, a variety of teachers, probably coaches of some sort, all these folks that, that, that have these children, they want, they want them to be blessed. Remember when our daughter Olivia uh, was born, um, this funny thing happened. It was a relative. I won't name who the relative was. But, but uh, they, were, they were sitting there. We're looking at Olivia. She had just been born. It's like, ooh, and on over our little daughter Olivia. And this relative announced to us that, you know, Olivia will probably have average intelligence. <laughs> oh, the, yes, that, that's not the worst. And when we said, why? Why, why do you say that? And they said, well, because you and Sherry have average intelligence. <laughs> It's like, well, our kid's not going to have average intelligence, you know? <laughs> you know, we're a lot like these adults in this story. You know, we see or hear of some great thing or some great person. We really want our kids to be blessed, and we'll do anything to get them there. Now, we may differ in what it means to be blessed. You know, most everyone would say we want our kids to be healthy and happy, but others want them to be smart or athletic, funny, rich, married, insured. (laughs) You can tell I've worked with college students for a long time. They just buy their own insurance, please. We want them to follow Jesus. I won't even make a comment about the whole 26-year-old insurance thing now anymore. Anyway, um, we want them to follow Jesus, to be drug-free, to be the best they can be, or to be the best, Right? We want them to be accessible, right? What do you desire for the children in your life, your kids, your grandkids, the ones that you teach, your neighbor's kids, your nieces and nephews, so to speak, the orphans in our world? What do we want? You know, this story here is not a story about baby dedications and infant baptisms. It's amazing how many scholars chose to write about this passage and make it about that. It's like that's not what it's about. As cute as those moments are in the life of the church, this story is about getting the kids to Jesus in such a way that they will truly be blessed by their encounter with him in all aspects of their life. This is what we long for. And this is what Jesus affirms. Don't hinder the children from coming to Jesus to be blessed by him. 
You know, there's a lot of things I've learned uh, in the last uh, four years since I left UPC, but what I need to let you know is that I spent, uh, be, before being here at UPC, I was at a church in Colorado, and so I spent about 20 years in, in pastoral ministry where, in essence, the center of my week was Sunday and Tuesday, okay, because of, of college thing. So, but Sunday, so my life revolved around church on Sunday, and, you know, I had the, the joy of waking up on Sunday mornings thinking, wow, I get to go to UPC and put on the robe. Today, no, nobody even laughed at it this time, Dave, not even you. But Bruce, Bruce laughed because he's like, no, you didn't, Mike. Okay, but no, but the robe part, that was the funny part. Anyway, I didn't think about the robe, okay? I didn't wake up thinking about the robe. But Sunday was kind of the center of my week. And my wife, I used to always kind of think about how Sherry used to have to get the kids here on Sunday, kind of has a single mom. And, and at one point, you know, when I worked here, they had parking spot for the pastors, which is great because she could park. Then they took the parking spot away and it was like, oh no, what's my wife going to do? Oh well, good luck, honey. I got to get there to work and put the robe on. Well, what's happened in the last few years is Sunday's no longer the center of my work week. I'm like most of you. Like, I travel a lot and I come home and then the weekends, all of a sudden I've got to be, the kids got to be here and there. Wait, how can we be in seven places? We only have so many cars and how are we going to get to all those places? Then Sunday comes and it's like, oh my gosh, church, like how am I going to get there? And, you know, we, we get it. We try to figure out, is it going to be morning? Is it going to be night? You know, who has to do what? How many, what do you mean you put your schoolwork off till today? And, you know, trying to figure it out. And of course we always come late. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just overwhelming. Like, the biggest thing I learned is how hard it is for you to get to church. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. So I feel for you. It's really, like, man, hey, way to go. Like, I just want to stand up here and go, yeah, you made it today. Good job. Way to go, you know? It's really what I learned. It's like, man, that's a tough thing to do, point, just to say, you know, we, we try to do what we can to figure out how to get our kids to Jesus, uh, that they might be blessed. But I want to shift here kind of from the kids and parents for just a minute and shift to the disciples. To take a look at, I don't know if you're, you're, you're people watchers. I'm a, I, I love the people watch, but I do it with the Bible. Like, I just like to like watch the people in the Bible. I can imagine these disciples are probably like, they're Jesus' bodyguards, right? They're kind of, they're his entourage, you know, and there they are, kind of the keepers of, you know, like, protect. Who, no, no, you don't get it. Yeah, you get to talk to him. No, you don't get to. And they're kind of like his, like, administrative assistant who gets in and who doesn't get in. And they're all of a sudden holding these kids out, you know. They're hindering the children from coming to, to Jesus. And I just wonder what possessed them to do this. What made them do it? There's a couple thoughts that come up. The first one, uh, and something that certainly many scholars as well suggested, is that they were simply protecting Jesus. They knew Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, that he was heading to the cross, that he was going to, so to speak, bear the weight of the world upon his shoulders. He was getting tired, and he did not need these kids bothering him. They were just trouble anyway. Jesus did not need any more problems. He had had enough. The last thing Jesus needed around him was those damn kids. Now, um, forgive me for, for using that word. Um, if, if you want to complain about it, that's D-A-V-E-R at U-P-C, davedroar.org. <laughs> But 
But the reason why I, you know, I hesitate, I hesitate to make saying that line there, but I have to tell you, it is riveted in my head. And it's in my head because when I was a child, when I was a teenager, I heard so many adults use that phrase about teenagers and about kids. They're trouble. They're messy. They're dirty. They get in the way of our adult agenda. And the disciples are looking and people are bringing the kids. It's like, we don't have time for them. Those kids. We've got other things, more important business in our lives. I swore as an adult I would never do that. I would not merely not just say the words, but I did not want to have that attitude about teens. Then my kids became teenagers. (laughs) And worse yet, their friends became teenagers. House started getting TP'd. I saw, you know, eggs thrown at cars, right? You know, cars being driven in the neighborhood, you know, three times faster than they're supposed to spin it around the corners. There was, so to speak, sex, drugs, and rock and roll being offered everywhere at all times to the kids. And then I found that same phrase coming out of my mouth. Kids were a nuisance to my adult way of life. To my agenda with my children. Like the disciples, I find myself at times wanting to keep the kids away. We have enough troubles and enough challenges on our own. And this passage changes all of that for me. Kids, regardless of their issues, regardless of the stuff that they bring with them, the messiness and the challenges that they are, Jesus said are worth the investment. Jesus said so. Now, there's a second explanation as well to this, and probably the one that maybe even hits it more at the truth, and that is the disciples tried to keep the kids away because the kids did not serve their agenda. Their agenda was to reestablish the kingdom as they defined it. They needed people who were physically strong and politically powerful because the end objective was to reestablish Israel as a great nation instead of being oppressed to be up on top again and to rule over others. That was what they thought the kingdom was going to be about. What were kids going to do? How were kids going to help that? They had no political power. They were physically weak. They didn't have an inability to help us get to our agenda. So let's keep the kids away. It's what I like to call the kids' table attitude. The first one is those kids. The second one is let's just keep them at the kids' table. Let's keep the kids' table. You know, I was um, the youngest of nine kids. I knew very early on I was never going to see the adult table. (laughs) Okay, just technically I'm still at the kids' table. But, you know, we used to always joke about the fact that we're going to make the kids' table more fun than the adults' table. We're going to make the kids' table our own. We're not going to do it the way the adults did it. My friends, listen to what I'm saying. What are our kids doing today? You don't bring them to your table or you don't go to their table. They'll make it their own table any dang way they want to. And we're seeing it all over the place. Continue to have a keep the kids at the kids table mentality is going to hurt us as a society. 
and hurt us as a community of faith. Jesus would never have said kids are to be seen but not heard. What Jesus did say was absolutely profound. And I know these words. I could probably quote these words to you in my sleep. But for some reason, when you sit and marinate in these words and really begin to think and dwell on me, you realize how absolutely profound this is. How radical it would change my life if I actually believed and thought about these words. When Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God, he said, belongs to them. Let me put that in other words. The kingdom of God is owned by them. Possessed by them. Infused by them. By who? Now, he's not simply talking about children. Because we all know that I'm not up here saying just give the adult table over to the kids. That's not what we're talking about here. Just give it all up to them. What he's saying actually is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the powerless. That's what he's saying to the powerless. The owners of God's kingdom have no control or agenda. They're messy, at least by our standards. We have to get used to the fact that God's kingdom is ruled by the powerless, the ones who either have none because of the oppression in their life, or they choose to release the power over to the only one who truly has any power. That includes anybody. The second thing that he says, that unless we, parents, adults, disciples of Jesus, that unless we have a faith like a child, we won't even enter the kingdom of God. Unless we have a faith like a child, we won't even enter. In other words, the kids are our roadmap to Christ's way of living, to Jesus' way of faith. Friends, the kids have something To teach us. That's what Jesus is saying. For many years I've been asked, you know, in light of the work that I do oftentimes about kids. Sometimes parents and folks that come in absolute desperation. uh, Sometimes just in general in a a talk or a lecture about about youth and whatnot. And I I don't consider myself an expert. There's a lot better researchers and and folks in this field than I do, but 20, about four years now of, of work with this age group, I've thought about a few things. Keep in mind, I, I'm a former football player, and I have average intelligence. So, um, some would say a step below amateur. Um, average, a step below average there. But here, here's the reality. When you stop and you think about what kids need, what kids need is time. They need your, just need your time. That's what, that's what kids mostly just need. You know, Earl often talked about the non-exploitive adult in our kids' lives. They need time. They need people that will spend time with them. You know, and I know sometimes when they're teenagers, it's like, no, they don't, they don't want to spend time with you. And I'm shocked at how much they actually do. But you need to keep your mouth shut most of the time. Just, just be quiet. Just provide them stuff and food and a place, a safe place, right? Just time, just, just to be there. The second thing that I, that I say that, that, that they need is they, is they need to, to be heard. I think kids feel like they're being heard. 
They need to be heard. And, you know, the last thing is this, and this is what I really get from this passage of Scripture, is that they need us to follow them sometimes. And I really love that. I've learned so much from kids and from young people in my life. They've taught me so many things, and I want to keep listening to them. Let me finish with this. A few years back, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed. You know, I think a lot of this can feel overwhelming. And trying to, you know, you see so many problems and so many issues in our culture and all the dynamics that kids are facing and the fact that we, too, are incredibly overwhelmed with our own stuff and our own challenges in life. And I was feeling that way a number of years ago. And I was at luncheon. I was actually at pastor's luncheon listening to a guy speaking. And, and, and honestly, I wasn't listening. I, I was totally tuned out, like some of you might be right now. Hey, let's go come back and listen to me. I was totally tuned out. I wasn't listening. I was just overwhelmed. And I really was. And I was like, Lord, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I supposed to do in my life? You know, I was having just one of those moments. I don't know if you ever had those moments. Or you guys are like, Gaff, you got to get some help. So now, I mean, like what? It was overwhelming. And, and I just, I said, Lord, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I heard the still small voice that moment say, bring people to Jesus. That's what I want you to do. Just bring them to me. You're not their savior. You can't fix their problems. Just bring them to me. That's what I want you to do. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Okay, you know, remember, simple. That's good. And so I was sitting there, and then about 30 seconds later, I was still overwhelmed because I thought, bring them to Jesus. There's so many people to bring to Jesus. Like, oh, that's so, that's overwhelming. I mean, what are you going to do with all that? And, and, and all of a sudden, at that moment, I looked, and my, call, my human staff were sitting there listening to Dallas Willard speaking, and they were riveted on taking notes. I mean, sitting on their edge of the seat. I mean, they were obviously paying attention, unlike their boss. And they were sitting there taking notes and just riveted on Dallas Willard taking notes. I love Dallas Willard. I've read everything Dallas Willard had ever, has ever written, at least like five times, because you can't understand him the first time anyway. And he's, and so I'm like, so I wasn't really listening. And, and all of a sudden I look and they're just riveted, just taking notes. And I heard that still small voice say, it's the second thing I want you to do. And that is to bring people to others that can bring them to Jesus. It's not all about even you, Mike, just Find people that you can connect up with. Friends, there's probably for many of you in your life right now, you're absolutely overwhelmed by things that are going on in some of your kids' lives, the people in your life. You need somebody else to come alongside too. Find somebody that can come along that can help bring them to Jesus with you. Well, I was, uh, you know, I came back from lunch. I was all like, yeah, I learned my call in life. Simple. Keep it simple. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to others that can bring them to Jesus. Later on the day, I'm driving home. I'm driving down the road. I'm like whistling Dixie. I'm so happy I got a simple life again, so to speak. And I'm driving home, and all of a sudden, I felt that nudge of God that said, I'm not through. There's one more thing that I want you to do, Mike. And that is that I want you to bring yourself to Jesus. Matter of fact, that's the first thing. Bring yourself to Jesus. And we begin to make sense about bringing the kids to Jesus. Friends, we come to a table today where we get to do just that. We don't come because we have a bunch of knowledge or we have superior intelligence or because we have it all figured out or we have some kind of righteousness that we can stand up before God and be proud of. We come powerless, like kids, to the only one who can actually deal with all this stuff. Let's do so. Father, thank you for the chance to be together. Help us, Lord, because you know we need it. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette.
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.